This is a Federal News Network podcast. From agency strategy to parking spaces, a lot goes into keeping engagement high. Those stories and much more ahead during this hour of the Federal Drive. But first, the IRS will refresh its information technology modernization drive over the next six years and has asked Congress for billions of dollars. Congress has made it easier for the IRS to recruit and hire for tech jobs. This summer, the president signed the Taxpayer First Act, restoring streamlined critical pay authority for the IRS. Former IRS Commissioner John Koskinen urged Congress to bring back that program when it lapsed in 2013. He tells Federal News Network's Jory Heckman how it'll help with modernization. The streamlined part was that you could hire people outside of the normal, somewhat lengthy hiring process and compete more effectively with private sector companies. The challenge otherwise, which we experienced after it ended in 2013, is that you find a good cybersecurity expert or IT architect and you say, well, listen, we'd love to hire you. Sit still here for three to four months. The IRS was faster than a lot of government agencies that take six months. Sit there for three or four months and we'll get back to you. Well, you know, everybody else was saying, you're a great uh, target of opportunity. Come join us in two weeks or in a month. The other part of it, critical pay, was to allow an increase above what the normal senior executive service pay would have been. So uh, you could get paid as much as two hundred and twenty or $230,000 a year, depending upon what your history of compensation was. You couldn't get a big pay raise, but a lot of people were already at or above that number. Now, there seemed to be some magic in the private sector. If you got paid $200,000 a year, even though that might be a pay cut, that was still a, a reasonable indication of the importance of your position. So the IG reviewed the 14, 15 years of experience in 2013 and found that the IRS had used the program appropriately, had never abused it. It provides for, I think, it used to provide for 40 positions, and the IRS never had more than 32 or 34 at any one time, which was an indication they weren't just sort of hiring anybody around with that authority. And it didn't get terminated so much, it didn't get renewed. It was a four-year program. And in 2013, in the middle of all of the uh, focus by the Congress about whether the IRS was targeting conservative groups who were politically active but wanted to be tax-exempt, the streamlined critical pay ended and was not renewed. And what happened was people hired under streamlined critical pay had a four-year term in which they worked, and then they would rotate out or rotate into another position. So by the time I got ready to leave, everybody who had been on uh, streamlined critical pay, including several senior IT people, had rolled off and left the agency, and the agency was not able to recruit at the same level external to the IRS. It had a number of very good internal people that got promoted to be uh, the CIO of the uh, agency and cybersecurity head. But all those positions had been held by people with streamlined critical pay who brought great expertise and experience from the private sector. So it was a serious limitation on the IRS and its ability to focus on bringing in really experienced, high-level IT executives. So the team behind the online programming, the I guess the digital services, those were all streamlined critical pay hires? One of the uh, leader of it was, because there were only a handful, you know, no more than at any one time, usually 25 
people, most of whom were IT, but behind them were, you know, hundreds or thousands, depending on the area in the IT system you were looking at, of career, very good career dedicated IT people. But the uh, online experience, developing an online account, was run by Rajiv Mathur, who had been brought in from Fidelity. He had brought, done a lot of their online work uh, and did a wonderful job, but his four years ran out and he had to move on. Terry uh, Mulholland had been uh, the CIO, Chief Technology Officer, had been brought in after years of experience with Boeing and other private sector companies, and his four years had run out uh, in that part of his term. So, uh, as I say, I would emphasize there are very experienced and dedicated people who work for the IRS, but the advantage of bringing outside people in, a handful of them, is they bring the newest experience in what's going on in the private sector or other organizations, and they can apply that to the IT ongoing challenges of modernization, uh, security, and improvements. You know, I hear really kind of two tracks to this, the pay element of things as well as the time to hire. That seems like they were both important elements to the streamlined critical pay, critical hiring authority, but was one more helpful than the other? I know they're really kind of a package deal, but what are your thoughts there? I think the most important thing was the streamlined part. It's very difficult to take a very experienced, attractive IT executive who's thinking about moving into another position uh, or whom you're recruiting and tell them, look, this could take three to six months. Uh, just sit tight and we'll be back uh, and we'd love to have you with us. And to the extent you could do that in a few weeks uh, in the more normal hiring process the private sector has, you were more competitive. So if you had to pick between the two, and as you know, they came together as an important package. But I think the streamlined ability to hire people quickly, which is what they're used to in the private sector, was the more important. But the critical pay part of it was significant as well, because these are, when you're talking about senior IT people, well compensated. And as I say, as much as anything, it was almost psychological that they would get a signal of the importance of their position by the compensation. And you mentioned Terry Maholland earlier in the conversation, and uh, I actually did speak with him earlier this summer. In talking with him, he really made it seem that you know not just himself but his colleagues uh, under this authority, you know, really helped jumpstart a lot of IT modernization projects. But my question for you is: looking back at what what was able to be accomplished under this authority, what were some of the big projects or some of the big achievements that this team was able to really pull off? Well, clearly, uh, developing an online account for taxpayers, although that's a project still underway, was a, an important major step forward. Cybersecurity, obviously, everybody's paying much more attention to now than they might have 10 years ago. But having experts in cybersecurity improving uh, and trying to keep up with the organized criminal syndicates around the world was an important contribution by uh, people brought in under streamlined critical pay. And then, as Terry said, a number of the projects in modernization, getting rid of some of the ancient software programs, were under the direction of people with experience in the private sector, the kind of most modern systems available. And so, again, they were relatively, you know, compared to the hundreds of people in the area, or thousands, really, it's a relatively small handful, but they brought both leadership experience and skills, but really important skills in what's going on in state-of-the-art, as it were, information technology in companies across the spectrum. And so I think that energy and perspective uh, being brought in was just very helpful and uh, allowed the IRS to move more quickly than it might have otherwise. I understand that the situation may have changed since your tenure at the IRS, but of course, legacy IT is still very much uh, an issue for that agency. And we hear time and again about 
systems that are from the JFK administration, the Johnson administration. Looking back on your tenure at the IRS, are there projects that you remember that, you know, you wish had gotten more attention or if there was the workforce and the resources to put on it, you would have, you know, tackled a project such as this? Well, the most uh, interesting project in a lot of ways we started while I was there, and I hope it's going to come to fruition, was the case management system. We discovered, or you know, talking to employees and then working through it all, that there were over 60 separate case management systems in the IRS. So when you call and you have an issue, you get cases developed around your issue. Well, these case management systems existed throughout the agency in different enforcement areas and different taxpayer service areas. In many, and if not most cases, they didn't talk to each other. So that if you called up with a problem and you had two problems, you could get somebody to talk to you about the first problem, but they couldn't deal with you on the second one because they had no access to that case. And what would happen as cases progressed through the system into appeals or the chief counsel or other places, they would oftentimes have to be printed out, packaged up, double-wrapped and mailed off to another office where somebody would open it up and scan it into their case management system. So moving uh, over 60 case management systems into one or two is a major undertaking. But when it gets done, and both internally, the efficiency will go up significantly because you won't be shipping paper copies of cases back and forth. But for taxpayers, it'll be a critical step forward toward what Nina Olson, the taxpayer advocate, wanted, which is kind of a single point of contact. She had in mind, I think, a single person. As I used to tell her, but that person could be on vacation at dinner, uh, off sick. What you really want is anybody you talk to to be a single point of contact for you with a total history of your experience with the IRS, who you talked to last, what they said. If you've got three issues, they can all be dealt with at the same time, or at least they, you can be moved to somebody who can easily see the status of. So it's a significant undertaking, but uh, good progress was made while I was there, and I'm told <laughs> they're still working on it. But it's the kind of thing that has both significant impacts on IRS employees and their efficiency. At the same time, it's a major improvement in taxpayer service. Changing gears a little bit here, John, I know that in addition to not only being former IRS commissioner, you also were once the uh, deputy director for management over at OMB. And so looking government-wide, was there anything at any other agency that resembled this kind of critical pay and hiring authority? Not that I know of. OPM has 800 slots for special hiring. And when Streamline Critical Pay expired, we looked at that. But at the time, it had been up three or four years and there had been four positions filled because it turned out to get through the OPM system took longer than the normal hiring. So its ability, it was not streamlined. It did give you the ability to make additional compensation adjustments. But uh, every once in a while, somebody in the Congress would say, well, why don't you use that program? And I said, well, it's the fact that it's only got one point, it might have had 10 out of the 800 slots used tells you why we're not able to do it. It just didn't work at all. But in terms of IT, funny you should mention, while I was at OMB, the issue then at my confirmation hearing, in fact, with John Glenn was why does the government have so many failed IT systems? I told the senator I didn't know. I just was new new to the position. But I could guarantee him that half of the major IT projects in the private sector didn't work either. And so we did a kind of a year long review with a group we put together of IT experts around all of the government. And it turned out there was something called the Brooks Act that governed how IT was purchased, managed, designed. And so we blew up the Brooks Act and with Senator Cohen's partnership, created the Klinger-Cohen Act, which basically streamlined the way IT is acquired and managed. And a key part of it was that what we discovered from a GAO study of the private sector was 
when you do a big project, it shouldn't be that big. You have to have deliverables every 12 to 18 months. So what you had in the government, especially with these huge systems being designed, was they would take three to five years to build, and then you'd flip the switch and hope they worked. Well, two things happened. Generally, they didn't work. And if they did work, you were still, by the end of the five years, using equipment that was way out of date. So now people call it agile development. But the goal, and we did that with the online program at the IRS, is the goal is you want to build incrementally. You want to put a module together and then see if it works. And if not, you can correct it and then build the next module. So at the IRS, for instance, first thing you could do was you could make a payment and then you could actually get a history of your account. And now they've moved beyond that. And they're moving toward the goal of having you have an online account that looks like the account you have with your bank or your financial company, where you can transact, never talk to anybody on the phone, and make payments and uh, do offers and compromise or installment agreements and do it all electronically. So, you know, I think the government has gotten much better. And uh, I think the biggest, you know, because the government systems are all very large because the agencies are so large. But trying to get people comfortable doing it modularly and not necessarily having to have the big bang theory where you take a long time to design it, then you bid it out, and then you take a long time to develop it. The other key issue we discovered then and GAO had discovered was if you view a project as an IT project, it's going to fail because all of these projects are business projects. They're designed to influence the way the systems run for the business. So you have to have the managers or the people affected by the business who use the system sitting around the table with you when you design the new one. Otherwise, what you often have happen, and the IT people do the best they can do, but you, if it does work, the business people say, well, that wasn't quite what I ordered, or gee, I didn't think it was going to do that. I wanted it to do something else. So on case management, for instance, uh, the d- development team at the IRS included procurement and legal and uh, taxpayer advocate, as well as the businesses, as well as the core IT people, because you had to have them all around the table trying to make sure that as they took steps forward, they were actually going to make progress. One of the things that we did was look at other case management systems and the experience and what was going on now, again, in kind of almost up-to-date systems. And suddenly people quit focusing on, I want this system to do everything the way I've been doing it for 30 years, and suddenly said, gee, you could actually run a system that looked like that and leapfrogging all of that discussion. So I think the final result of the IRS is going to be a whole lot better and more effective than it would have been 20 years ago when, to do this, you would have designed a huge, complicated case management system that probably uh, wouldn't do what almost anybody really wanted. Even present-day IT modernization is a big priority, and just now the IRS has entered maybe year one of what's going to be another six-year sprint or roadmap for IT modernization. And as you've outlined, you know the IRS has taken efforts to do this before and you know to mixed reviews. John, is there any recommendations you'd make to Commissioner Chuck Reddig of what to look out for or maybe tips to uh, to follow in trying to make IT modernization go as best as can be hoped? You know, the most important thing is for everybody with a stake in the issue to be involved in it. It's too easy for this to become an IT project. You know, we call it IT modernization, but you're modernizing the business systems. And a lot of it's technology and focused on technology improvements. But really, as you're making those improvements, the question is, what do you want the system to look like? What do you want it to be able to do? And so you don't necessarily want to have it doing the same things it's been doing for the last 50 years. And the people who need to make that choice and decisions are the business managers. 
and the people who are going to actually live with the output of those systems. Cybersecurity, everybody wants security, and there's no business orientation toward that. But again, as you design security systems, you have to ask, what's the impact on usability? What's the impact on taxpayer access through those systems? So I think my um, recommendation is that it's important for all the players to be engaged along the way. And the other thing is just to make sure, and that's the way the IRS has been going more recently, to make sure that there are deliverables. There's a six-year program out there, but the issue is what are the benchmarks and what's going to get better each year? What can you see operating tomorrow or a year from now that's not operating today? And avoid wherever you can something that you start and won't be visible for three years or four years. Because as I say, at that point, if it takes you that long, you're going to be using systems that are on their way out. We had mentioned earlier Nina Olson, the former national taxpayer advocate, retired, I believe, this summer. And um, I understand that you guys spoke quite a bit on recommendations, what more the IRS could do to turn things around. But are there any other recommendations or any conversations you remember with her that still ring true for the IRS today? And Nina and I kind of agreed there ought to be an easy way for taxpayers to call in and get their cases handled. I always thought uh, thinking of it as a single individual person was kind of an old-fashioned way to think about it. If you call United Airlines or Bank America, Fidelity, uh, you don't get the same person each time you call. What you get is somebody who knows exactly where your case is and what your issue, uh, the development of your issue. And I think that's the critical part for the IRS. Nina also, though, legitimately was concerned that we, as we develop these systems, we remember that there are always going to be people who, for one reason or other, aren't going to be using uh, the electronic system. Either they don't uh, aren't comfortable with it, they don't know how to use it, and so you can't forget them as you're you know, racing down the road. But my position was trying to recognize that, was that if we could get people off the phone who didn't want to really be there if there was an option, and get people out of the uh, local offices uh, who didn't want to be there if they didn't have to be, then the phone service and uh, office visitation services would be much more efficient because the only people there would be the people who really wanted to be there or needed to be there. But even today, there are a lot of people who you know have to call who, if you gave them an online account, would be delighted never to call. And so I think her concerns were legitimate and they still ring true. But again, you have to recognize that if we get the IT systems you know, modernized and catch up with where everybody else is, then the non-IT systems would be much more available and more efficient for the people who need or want them. Former IRS Commissioner John Koskinen speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Check out Jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Celebrate this holiday season by sending money to your loved ones with Western Union. As a new customer, you can enjoy a $0 transfer fee when you send money online. For fast and reliable money transfers, use Western Union. Visit westernunion.com or download our app today to get started and your first transfer fee is on us. Services offered by Western Union Financial Services, Inc., NMLS 906983, or Western Union International Services, LLC, NMLS 906985, FX Gain Supply. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.